Good morning, good afternoon. Good evening. Depending on where it is that you're listening to this, uh, whatever it is, good morning, good afternoon. The uh, the Schmidt Show kicking off today, kicking off week number, uh, this is episode number 10, I think officially episode number 11, but we did an episode zero as kind of an in- intro episode. So this is the first full episode, or the 10th full episode. So thanks for being around and being a part of it. Uh, you'll notice there was no intro music this morning. I'm not really sure what happened, but our intro music and... All that stuff, that computer that runs all that is frozen. And unfortunately, the guru is not here with me today. So um, I believe the guru is still out in Wisconsin. So welcome to The Schmidt Show. I am your host, Brad Schmidt. Thanks for joining me. You can find us on Freenode, the Schmidthead chat room on Freenode. You can find us on Twitter at The Schmidt Show. Um, you can find us theschmidtshow.com. If you're listening to us live and streaming it, you already know that because that's where the stream is. Um, there's a million ways to uh, be a part of the show. You can find us on Telegram. Uh, it's this, the Schmidtheads chat room on Telegram. So thanks for being a part of it. Uh, so yeah, the, the, uh, the guru isn't with me this morning, so we're going to uh, moving, move in a, in a, uh, not a different direction, but we're going to uh, take a little bit of a time, a little bit of time to talk a little bit today about the uh, the border caravan. Now, I'm going to be honest. I haven't really been following a lot of the news over the weekend. I've had a really busy weekend. I was I had a wedding I went to and helped a friend install a furnace yesterday. So I haven't been following all of the details. So I don't have a lot of the details on the on the caravan itself. But I want to talk a little bit about why the borders are important and and why our borders here in the U.S., why our borders in, well, around the world, really, why borders matter. Um, there is a, there's a significant importance to the American, uh, Mexico, uh, North American borders, the U.S.-Mexico border. There is a, there's a special significance about that particular border that that makes this an important topic. Oftentimes we talk about the borders, you know, moving so mo- say moving from um, you know Germany to Austria to Poland to you know wherever anywhere in the in Europe, um, Iran to Iraq, you know, any of those borders, um, they don't seem to have the same sort of significance as we see in the U.S.-Mexico border, and we'll get into that as we go on throughout the show today. Um, but this is this is something that that I think a lot of people miss in this discussion. We forget that there is a special kind of of border on the U.S. on the on the south side, I should say, of the United States of America. So. Let me just read a couple of facts about uh, uh, some of the stuff. The U.S.-Mexico border uh, is about tw- about 2,000 miles uh, from the P- Pacific Ocean to the Gulf of Mexico. Of course, goes through some of the most inhabitable and and just desolate nowhere country in North America. And even though all of its kind of remote area and wide open spaces. The border is also the most heavily traveled land crossing in the world. There's over 274 million crossings, and this goes all the way back to 2002, so who knows, it's probably um, much longer or much more than that now. Um, The traffic passes through the corridors 
created um, by a, a bunch of these twin cities. Like, for example, I live in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and we have, we're right on the border of North Dakota, Minnesota. So we have Minnesota and North Dakota. There's East Grand Forks, Minnesota, and Grand Forks, North Dakota. And we are a, a twin, twin city. So that's what they're talking about when you, when you talk about these twin cities that kind of straddle the border. Um, of course, the largest of, of all of these we all know is San Diego. Um, in, on, on the Mexican side, it's Tijuana. Um, a combined population of about 4 million, just over 4 million people. Uh, the border is also different from the east to the west side. At the western end, the population is half Latino and more affluent due to its proximity to major California uh, metro areas. But on the eastern end, the population is almost entirely Latino. The poverty rate is very high. And in fact, um, Star and Maverick counties in Texas are among some of the poorest in the nation. So there's, there's that issue as well. So there's not only the, the issue of the border and the differences and the cultural differences across the border on either side. Um, there's some differences in the institutions, um, the, the, the level of trust between the United States and Mexico is quite a bit different than the level of trust between U.S. and Canada. Um, this, this kind of issue um, is somewhat a reflection of the, the design, if you want to say it that way, of the government in the United States and and the fact that the um, the Canadian governmental system is actually very very similar to the United States, and I've got an article that on this where I'm getting some of this information from. Um, it'll be linked in the show notes, so you want to check it out. It's, it'll go into it a lot deeper than than what I am. But the 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 United States and Mexico do not have the same level of cooperation that we're seeing in um between the US and Canada. But one of the things that that is really important to point out and I'm just going to read this paragraph from this article cuz I don't want to uh, understate it or misstate it. It says it says this, quote, "Not only is the US Mexico border a boundary between two nations, it marks the zone where two culture areas of west of the western hemisphere meet. The US Mexican borderland is also a divide between one of the greatest differences that separate countries today." the divide between prosperity of the developed world and the relative poverty of the third world. Now, I'm going to continue this paragraph in a minute, but, but that is a very, very important um, demarcation or point of demarcation. There is a, there is a, a discussion to be had about the, the governmental system, the economic system, and, and what's happening in the U.S. versus what's happening on the same continent, just literally across a, a border into another country with similar resources, um, a better climate for all sorts of things that, that could be developed given the right tools and resources and all of those sorts of things. So um, that is a very important thing to point out. And we'll, so let me continue with the, um, with the, with the paragraph. Indeed. The paragraph continues. The United States-Mexico border is the only land border in the world between those two important zones. 
journalist Robert Kaplan, no strangers to border, no stranger to borders, describes this difference in his own subjective way. He recounts traveling between East and West Germany while the wall was still up. The Iran Iraq border with Kurdish rebels, the green line that separates the antagonistic Greek and Turkish communities on Cyprus, the crossing of the line of demarcation between Pakistan and India. Kaplan has also traveled from Damascus, Syria, to the demilitarized zone of Golan Heights, and he says this, But never in my life have I experienced such a sudden transition as when I crossed from Nogales, Sonora, to Nogales, Arizona, on November 1st, 1995. So that, that, when you begin to think about what's happening on the Mexican border between the United States and, and Mexico, when you think about what's happening in this caravan that's coming, and we'll get into that discussion in, in, a, in a bit as well, but when you think about what's happening, not just currently, it, what's happening today, you know, last night, last week, last month, but what's happening historically, what's happened over the last three, four, five hundred years on this continent, you know, whatever, since 1492 when Columbus sailed the ocean blue and, and all of that, when, when you think about the, the, the expansion of Western culture onto this continent, and the level of prosperity that has grown out of that, and you compare that to and contrast it with what's happened in Mexico along that border. Now, I know that borders changed over the years, and Texas used to be its own country and all that kind of stuff, and, and ignoring all of that because it, it, while it's relevant, um, I'm trying to take a little bit, you know, 35,000-foot view looking down and looking across the 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 landscape of time to kind of get to um excuse me get to um a discussion that that lets us understand or helps us understand why borders are so important and and what we need to do in my opinion to deal with the issue of illegal immigration and even legal immigration um, the, the demographic or the difference between the demographic in, in a lot of these border towns is really not that different. Um, one article suggested that about 96% of the people on the U S side of the line are of Mexican descent and speak English and Spanish. So there's that part of it isn't there. Um, the differences in the physical appearances of the two cities and the different levels of organization and efficiency one encounters on either side, the article continues, of the international boundary. It begins at the port of entry. This is what this is the rest of what Kaplan said. He said, I saw how few people garrisoned the border station, yet how efficiently it ran. Um, says Kaplan, contrasting U.S. Nogales port of entry to the more disorganized border crossings characteristic of the third world. He also saw how differently the town was laid out and maintained on the American side in contrast to the, quote, chaos of Mexican construction. So there is all of the, and we can even have the discussion about central planning and all that kind of stuff, and I don't, I don't have ever any intention of ever getting into that today, but there's, there's a lot of what's happening on this border that, that matters 
not just here in the United States, but matters globally. The United States has set an example. And, and I know there's a lot of people that don't like um, the United States. And there's a lot of people that think the United States is bad. And we've done all these terrible things. And the reason everybody else in the country is poor or in the world is poor is because the United States is rich. And we've taken advantage of everybody and all this stuff. And first of all, that's all a, a bunch of bogus garbage. So I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on that. But the, the truth is the United States has set an example for... Uh, an efficiency level in dealing with the issues of immigration. We allow for, believe it or not, millions of people to come here legally every year. I I don't know what the exact number is, um, but I think we allow for uh, 2 million immigrants plus a bunch of of asylum seekers and so on and so forth. So I I don't have the numbers right off the top of my head. So if I'm wrong, I apologize. I'll, I'll make a correction later and and look it up. But the, um, the, the, the point is we allow for um, an efficiency of immigration that, that nearly no one else in the world is able to equal at, at, and, and, when our immigration rules and immigration laws are followed appropriately, it is a very, um, it is a very, like I say, efficient system. And it's also a very, um, how, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not, it's, it works. It just works well. And, and here's the problem with so much of this is I have a friend who um, moved here from Canada. She married a, a friend of mine here in the U.S. and having to deal with the, the, the Canadian to the United States immigration system and all of that kind of stuff, it was a disaster. It was a nightmare. The, it took three or four years before her to finally get a, uh, a green card or whatever it is that she needed to get. It was just a, it was just a disaster. Everything about it was what it was expensive. It cost them a bunch of money. You know, they finally got it all taken care of, but it was, it was so bogged down and the, the, the way the, the process was handled was so bogged down, not because the system is bad, not because the ideology of the, and the efficiency of the of the process was bad, but because so many other factors play into it, the the immigration courts are so clogged up, so plugged up by the 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 illegal issues that are having to be dealt with that the legal immigration issues get pushed off to the side and become a mess. So, so that's that's part of why this is. The, why the, the, the immigration situation in the United States is important because it's not just important for us. It's important for people all around the world because we can be, because we always have been, whether, whether people like it or not, the United States has always been an example and always been a model on how to effectively navigate just about any issue or system. And so what we've got to start doing, what we've got to start getting into and start looking at as a, as a nation on how to address this is, is, is we've got to begin the process of, we hear about this all the time, right? Comprehensive reform of, of immigration, comprehensive reform of immigration. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a matter of comprehensive reform. I, I, mean, I know what that term 
in, entails. It means that it's a, you know, deals with every aspect of, of, of the, of the system of the situation, meaning comprehensive. But the, the truth is comprehensive isn't enough. Comprehensive means we make a few changes to every part of the system and nothing ever gets better. Right? So anytime you hear a politician saying we need comprehensive reform of healthcare, we need comprehensive reform of whatever, just know that they say we want to make a bunch of changes to everything in the system. And it's going to be probably worse when we're done with it. That's when you hear it, when you hear a politician talking about comprehensive reform, just know they what they're actually saying is we're going to ruin it by making a bunch of changes to everything and none of them are really going to be helpful because the one the changes we do make on this particular part of the issue are going to um, override or screw up or cause contradiction with some other part of the issue and nothing's actually going to get better. So what we need as it relates to immigration, especially in the United States, because as a, as the, as a, the, 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 essentially the lone superpower in the world, and I think China, Russia, whatever, but the, essentially the, the, the leader of, of the entire globe as it relates to nearly every topic, and it doesn't matter what the issue is, people wait around around the world to see how the United States is going to react. If, if there's an economic thing that happens in Japan or in China, the world looks to the U.S. stock market to see how things are, go- how things are going to react there before they start making decisions. If there's a military issue, if there's a, a, a rogue country that decides to invade some other country. The, the entire world looks to the United States as to what we're going to do and how we're going to react. So as this caravan, as this part becomes part of the discussion as well, as this caravan is coming up from Honduras and there is 7,000 now people mobbing their way across Central and South America towards the United States, the world is going to look to us and they're going to go, how is the United States going to react to this? Because how the United States reacts is going to affect the way they react. When Germany has to deal with a, uh, of an influx of Somalian or Syrian or, or some other group of people from the, from the Middle East, they are going to look to, to the United States and go, how did the U.S. respond? Now, they may not model their response after us. They may go, well, the United States responded this way, so we're going to um, try to take the moral high ground, and we're going to, to do the opposite. But the truth is, um, so many times when the, when the world takes the opposite tax, tack of what the United States does, um, it's usually not a positive thing for whatever's going on. So anyway, back to the discussion of, of how all of this relates to immigration. There's the, the, the way we've got to address the issue of immigration in the United States is a, is a fairly simple approach. Now it's very complicated in the execution. It's very complicated in, in dealing with the immigration laws, because what we've got to do is strip back a lot of the, the, um, the the comprehensive reforms that have been made over the years and we need to step back to a a time when we were looking at immigration as a merit-based type of deal if you didn't have something to offer us as a nation 
we unfortunately don't have anything to offer you. Now, I know that that seems harsh and that seems mean and that seems unkind, but there is an important or an importance to the, the world in general that we acknowledge that there is a, a time and a place for classes and orders in society. Now, that doesn't mean, because here's the other, every time I bring this up, the issue of, of class versus order, it's actually one of the six canons of, of conservative thought. The, the issue of the need for classes in society, the need for distinctions among portions of society is I'm not talking about going to a caste system where, you know, if you are a member of this particular group, you're not allowed to marry a a member of this other particular group because you're better than they are or whatever. But the, the idea, the importance of having classes and, and orders in society is important because we need all of the different classes to succeed, to be uh, prosperous, and I don't mean just financially prosperous, but just to be effective in daily life. Everything, something that kind of everybody can understand is is the concept of a restaurant, right? If you ask most people, and I have a friend who who used to work in the the uh, the restaurant industry who actually gave me this illustration just yesterday as we were talking about this. The the when you look at the the idea of a restaurant or or the 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 structure of a of a, a typical restaurant. Everybody, if you ask who the most important person in the restaurant is, most people will tell you, oh, the general manager, the guy, you know, that's going around making sure everything's running right, the head chef, you know, whatever, some some manager, managerial type of position. And my buddy, who spent a lot of years working in the restaurant industry, said, no, the truth is the most important guy in the restaurant, or the most important girl could be, the most important person in the restaurant is the dishwasher. Because without dishes, the restaurant doesn't run. If there's no dishes, the, the restaurant has no way to serve the food. There's no, you know, the cooking utensils and things that the chefs need to, to prepare the food. The waitresses have no way to bring the food out. The, you know, the, the most important person in a, in a restaurant is a dishwasher. And the great thing about living in the United States versus so many other countries around the world, and not all of them, you know, let's be honest, the United States doesn't have a, doesn't have a, a monopoly on, on prosperity and a monopoly on the ability to move among classes. But the, the United States, it's, it's easier in the United States than many other places. And the, what that looks like is one day the dishwasher can say, you know what, I don't want to wash dishes anymore. I'm tired of washing dishes. I want to be a server. I want to be a waitress. So the the or a waiter, whatever they are. So the 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 dishwasher works hard and and proves his his weight in in washing dishes and finally tells the manager, "Hey, you know, I'm done washing dishes, but I've taught Billy Bob here to do all of the things that I know how to do and and make sure that the dishes are ready and and so I want to move up to being a waiter or I want to move up to being in charge of, you know, all of the other dishwashers on the schedule and get a promotion. And then that waiter learn or that particular dishwasher learns a little bit more and, and gains a little bit more experience and decides, Hey, you know what? I, I don't want to just be a waiter. I just don't want to be a head dishwasher. I want to be, you know, the, the, the host, I want to be the, the person that kind of runs the floor 
and make sure all of the tables are seated and all of the waiters are assigned to the proper tables and, and so on and so forth. And then decides he wants to move up from there to being an assistant manager, a shift manager, a night manager, a bartender manager, whatever. And then decides, you know what? I want to be the general manager. As the, and the general manager quits or gets fired or moves on to another job, the general, he becomes the general manager and runs the entire restaurant and makes sure everybody's on the schedule at the right time. And then he decides, you know what? I don't want to just be a manager of a restaurant. I want to own my own restaurant. I want to own my own chain of restaurants. I want to own, and we see, we have actually seen this happen. We've seen this happen over the years, but among many different, not just in the restaurant industry, but in, in many industries in the United States, all over, we, we've, we've made movies about these kinds of stories because we all love these underdog stories, the success stories, the guys that came from nothing to, to be the pinnacle of their industry. And so the importance of class, because without the dishwasher, without the the waiter, without the host, without the server, none of that happens. None of none of the the experience of going out to eat for you and your family happens unless we have someone in each of those classes. So this this idea that we're all the same and we're all even and we're all equal is not true. It, it, it doesn't sound nice. It doesn't sound fun and compassionate. It's just simply not true. And, and, and let's be honest, none of us want it to be true, right? We don't want to be, we don't want everyone to be equal. We don't want everyone to be the CEO because if there's nobody on the line, when I call for tech support for my computer, because they're all CEOs and they're all making a million dollars a year. I can't get my phone fixed. I can't get my computer fixed. I can't get my car fixed. I can't, if, if I go to a hospital and everybody there is the head surgeon, I can't get the, you know, the, the, the boil on the top of my head lanced. If, if everybody there is the head surgeon, I can't get the cast put on my foot and get the proper pain meds. You know, it, so we, nobody really wants a classless society. We all say that because it sounds good, says it because it sounds fun and, and wonderful and utopian, but the truth is we don't want that. Nobody wants that. We, we need to have these different classes, these different orders in society. But what we do need, what we do want, and what we do need to facilitate and work our, our work our hardest at to facilitate is a mobility between the classes. That that if I am a nurse one day, I'm an RN, an LPN, or whatever it is that I am a nurse, and I want to someday become a doctor that I can go back to school and get a little bit more education and become a doctor. And if I don't want to be just a, a general practitioner doctor, I want to be a surgeon, you know, a general surgeon, then I can move up and, and get a little bit more schooling and become a surgeon. But if I want to become a neurosurgeon and focus just on brain surgery, I can go back and get a little bit more education and become a brain surgeon. You know, the, the, that, that, that part is important. We have to have a, a, an ability to move between classes that, that most definitely needs to be facilitated. And that is something we do all want. We, we all really do want to have a, a, an, a, an easy mobility between classes because the easy mobility be, between classes means that there is hope for me. There is optimistic, um, 
optimistic uh, thought in in my world. Like I can become something more than just a dishwasher, more than just a a a night manager. I can be something more than just a manager. I can own my own business. I can I can rule my own destiny, for lack of a better term. So anyway, so how the back to. I don't know where I got off the rails on this, but back to the idea of, of immigration. So what we need to do with immigration is it doesn't need to just be a quote unquote comprehensive reform. What we need is a, a stripping back and Oh, so it was back to the merit based thing. We need a stripping back to, if you have something to offer us, we have something to offer you. If you don't have anything to offer us, unfortunately we don't have anything to offer you. And, and, and we're sorry, but you have, you will be nothing but a quote unquote drain on our society. And in order for us to be a, a society in which we are the ones who provide opportunity for so many other places in the rest of the world, we have to maintain our own prosperity. And essentially what this looks like is the, you know, the, the story, the illustration that we've all heard people use when you're on the plane and the, there's a loss of cabin pressure. The first person that you're supposed to help is yourself. Put your mask on yourself first before you put it on someone else. Because if you pass out, you can't help your child. And so that's kind of what this idea of of a merit-based immigration system entails it's a it's somewhat and it, I know that's a, a, a loose analogy and it's and it's somewhat an analogy that that falls of falls apart um, if you take it too far but the idea is that we've got to put a mask on ourselves before we can start putting a mask on anybody else and so when when you start talking about a merit-based immigration system that's part of the discussion We've got to make sure that the United States maintains prosperity, maintains its ability to offer the, the hope of prosperity for other people. Because if we don't do that, if we're no longer the nation where, where prosperity grows, so to speak, then there's no reason for people to come here. And, and we don't want people to stop coming here because there's nothing here. We want people to stop coming here because their place is just as good as ours. So what we got to do is we got to strip back and, and get back to a point where we're talking about merit-based uh, immigration system. But even beyond that, it, it gets a little bit simpler. So where you got to then go once you've kind of got that done, there, it's a three-step process in in dealing with the issue of immigration. The first step is securing the border. Now that can be a wall. That can be, you know, tougher security in in the airports. Um, the, it's tougher uh, enforcement of visas, so people aren't overstaying their visas. We know that uh, some of the the highest numbers of illegal immigration are not just coming across the southern border um, or or sneaking in some other way, but they're overstaying their visas. They come here legally. And just decide, yeah, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay here. I kind of like it here. I'm not. I'm. I'm not going back to where I came from. And so, overstaying the visas is one. So the the idea is, the first step is securing the border. 
And like I said, a wall, a virtual wall, uh, you know, whatever, lining up a, a hundred and fifty thousand soldiers, shoulder to shoulder with, with uh, you know, with fifty caliber machine guns on the southern border, whatever that looks like. And of course, I'm being somewhat absurd there, but whatever, whatever the the idea of securing the border looks like, that has to happen first. That has to be the first thing that we deal with on a, from an immigration policy. Because all the people who are already here illegally, all of the other issues, the, the sanctuary cities, the, the, the crime of, of illegal immigrants and, and whatever, all of those other issues become secondary if we don't secure the border. And we know this is true. Again, the, another illustration to, to, to try to explain that is that think of a crime scene. You know, if the police come up on a crime scene, they, they look at this, hey, something bad has happened. You know, Billy Bob's been murdered here. Uh, you know, Sally's been raped. Whatever, whatever is going on at the crime scene, the first thing they have to do is what? Secure the crime scene. Make sure the press doesn't come in and trample on the evidence. Make sure the, 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 the uneducated, whatever, untrained police officers who are not investigators, who are not crime scene investigators, aren't contaminating the scene by putting extra footprints or touching things and different fingerprints and whatnot, or, or accidentally erasing any kind of fingerprints or any kind of evidence that might be at the scene. The very first thing they do is secure the scene. So they can deal with what is in the scene once the scene is secured. So the the idea of immigration has to happen, and especially uh, immigration uh, or the issue of illegal immigration. If you don't stop the flow of illegal immigrants into the country, then you're never going to be able to deal with the completely entirely with the immigrants, the illegal immigrants that are that are in the country. Because you'll never know what that number is. There's no way to ever come to a conclusion. If you don't turn off the water to your bathtub, it's going to keep overflowing. doesn't matter what you do until you turn the water off. And so this, that has to be the very first step. We've got to stop the flow of illegal immigration into the country. That has to be the number one priority. And I know people don't like the idea of a wall, but there's, there's example after example after example after example around the world and across history that prove that walls work. I know that walls don't feel fuzzy and, and all happy and optimistic, but the truth is walls work. We know this on a small scale in our own homes. You know, if, if we're going to the bathroom and we want privacy, what do we do? We close and lock the door. If we want to make sure that we're safe at night before we go to bed, what do we do? We close the windows and lock the doors. When we live in a gated community, when we want, you know, if we really, really want to be safe, we live in a community with walls and a gate. You know, I mean, the, 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 the absurdity of people saying, well, a wall will never work is because they don't want it to work. A wall will work. And, and, those, some, and that, that wall may be a virtual wall. We may not need to build a 20-foot 20 20 high, 20-foot wide concrete wall. We may not be, need to build the wall of China, the Great Wall of China. We may just need to build a virtual wall. You know, some sort of electrified fence that if you, if you get within 10 yards of it, you get 
a, a, a zap from a taser, I, you know, whatever. I, I'm, I'm just making stuff up. But the, the point being, we've got to secure the border. And so that may be a virtual wall. The other way we've got to secure the borders is, like I said, through the airports, through the, the ports of entry in, in a myriad of ways, we need to get tougher on enforcing visas. If you're here on a three-month visa, once your three-month visa is up, if you do not report to your port of entry or wherever it is to, to I mean, you got an appointment. We'll put you on the calendar. We get a reminder. You could do it with Google Calendars. Google Calendars will send you a text message. Hey, Billy Bob's visas expired. They didn't show up today. Go find them. And if we have to put, you know, permanent trackers on these people, you know, like a, what are the, the GPS ankle bracelets like the, you know, like the criminals get when they're on house arrest, whatever, whatever we got to do, we need to secure the border. And if you're here illegally and you've overstayed your visa, you're going home. And again, I, I get that that doesn't seem very nice and very fun and all warm and fuzzy, but we have to, we have to, we have to secure the border. Then, step number two, once we've secured the border, the next step, and, and like I say, securing the border is, is not as easy as just building a wall. It, it, it's, it's a very, I get that it's a very complicated thing, and I'm just throwing out some, some general discussions. Uh, I'm, not giving, I'm trying not to give you know, in great detail, and even some of the suggestions I'm making, I get that they, they maybe wouldn't work, and it would be silly and, and stupid or whatever. I, I'm, I'm simply trying to make a, a point to illustrate there has to be some processes in place to secure the borders. In, in whatever way, however it is that people are violating our borders, and it doesn't have to be, like I say, a physical violation. It could be that you just overstayed a visa. So anyway, I, I'm repeating myself. The, but I, I, I have to do this because every time I do these shows, especially on my terrestrial show, somebody always calls in and, oh, you just want Mexican kids to die in the desert. No, that's not at all what I want. It's not at all what I want. And, and so I'm, you know, there's always some absurd argument that's made. Well, you said you want to put a tracking collar on every single immigrant in the country. No, no, it's just an example. I'm just making, uh, random examples as, as things that, like I said, just to make a point. Anyway, moving on. Step number two, once you've secured the border, the next thing you need to do is we need to streamline the process because here's here's the the, uh, the the absolute truth that a lot of conservatives don't want to acknowledge or don't want to at, at, at least talk about is we want immigrants in this country. We, the you know the old the old cliche is as as cliche as it gets. We are a nation of immigrants. The United States is a nation of immigrants, and we want immigrants. We want to invite other people from other cultures to come and to be a part of our system, to be a part of our nation, to be a part of our society. We want that. We want them to bring their history, and we want them to bring their, their, their experiences and their culture and their art and their music, and we want them to be a part of who we are. We want them to bring that with them. We want them to share that with us. We want them to share their intelligence. We want them to share their ingenuity. We want to, them to share their abilities and skills and, and attitudes and, and all of that. We, because without that, 
without an influx, a continued inflow of people, population growth falls. And if population growth falls, nobody's around to pay taxes and the nation collapses. Now that's a, 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 it's way more complicated to go from there to there, you know, from A to B, but you get it. The, the point, again, I'm just saying these things to make, make some simple points. So we need immigration. We want immigration. We, we want, you know, somebody from, you know, Russia to bring over their skills in, in math or, or science or, or as a neurosurgeon or a, a researcher or technology or whatever. We want somebody from China. We want people from, from the Middle East to bring art or culture or whatever. We want these different people from these different nations. But what we don't want are criminals. And this, again, goes back to the merit-based stuff. What we don't want is terrorists. What we don't want is, you know, hackers and drug dealers and, and all those sorts of things. We don't need those people. What we need are the people who are going to come and to assimilate into our society, bring their society and their culture with, and, and leave, leave the negative aspects of their culture behind and bring the positive aspects of their culture to help improve our culture, right? To make our country, our nation better. So what we need to do to, to, to make that a reality is we need to streamline the process. We need to make it easier for people to come here legally than it is for them to come here illegally. Because right now it's very easy to get here illegally. You get a visa, you come, you just don't leave. You sneak across the southern border from Mexico, wherever. You sneak across the northern border, come into Canada. Sneak across, it's probably a lot easier to sneak across the Canadian border than it is the southern border. It would probably be easier, honestly, for this caravan to get a bunch of flights to Canada than sneak across the Canadian border. And again, I'm being somewhat silly with that, but you get the point. There's a million ways you can you can sneak across the quote unquote borders into this country, and so what we've got to do is we got to figure out a way to be, um, to to streamline the process. We need to make it easier for people to come here legally than it is for them to come here illegally. And what that may entail, what that may include, is the very simple fact that it means some of the bad guys don't get to come in. You know what, if you, if you don't have a marketable skill, and we used to do this at Ellis Island back in the day, if you didn't have a marketable skill, you know, if you couldn't be a, a, a doctor, a lawyer, a firefighter, a cop, a, a, you know, a, a, a cobbler, a, a construction worker, if you didn't have the ability to offer something to the society, you didn't come in. If you had no marketable skill, I'm sorry, getting back on the boat and heading back to your own country. Because we don't need any more destitution. We don't need any more poverty. We don't need any more welfare recipients. We've got plenty of those. And, I, and again, I know that doesn't sound very nice and warm and fuzzy, but it's the truth. So once we've streamlined the process and made it easier to get here legally than to get here illegally, the last thing we need to do is deal with the people that are already here. The, we need to figure out what to do with illegal aliens who are in this country illegal. Some of them need to be deported and they need to be deported immediately. Whether they are, whether they are citizens or not, 
or not, sorry, not citizens, whether they are, um, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. I said it's citizens and now I, I've completely lost my train of thought. You can't deport non, or you can't deport citizens. They're citizens. There's, you can't, uh, no, <laughs> I've completely lost my train of thought. Whether we need to, some of them need to be deported, period. <laughs> you can't deport citizens. Uh, I'm an idiot. Um, and now I'm, now I'm so flushed that I don't remember <laughs> what I was going to say. Um, okay, so we got to deal with the people who are already here. Some of them will be deported. Oh, no matter whether they were born here or not, because I'm not a firm believer in the idea that, that just because you were born on American soil, that it makes you an, an American citizen. For example, if I went to... France on a vacation with my wife and she happened to be pregnant and she, during the the vacation she goes into labor and gives birth to a baby my child is not a french citizen my child is an american citizen by virtue of the 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 fact that her parents or his parents are american citizens we just happened to be on vacation when the child was born that does not make my child a French citizen and does not entitle my child to any French benefits. And so the same is true in the United States. If you are here and visiting, and if you are here illegally, it doesn't matter whether you're visiting or planning to stay. You're here illegally. You do not get the rights and benefits of being an American citizen. So your child is therefore not an American citizen. And, and that, I believe, is a bastardization of the intent of the law, of, of the idea of being a natural-born citizen. And, and so that is one of the things that needs to, to come to an end. So you may de be deported, even if you were born here. You may be deported. Even if you were brought here as a two-year-old against your will, you may still be deported. You may still get sent back to your own country. Now, I think we have to figure out a way to offer compassion and offer a way to, and, and this is the part where honestly, where I struggle, where I, I stumble and fall down a little bit because I'm not entirely certain what this looks like, but some who are here and even though they came here illegally, if they can prove their allegiance to this nation, their desire to be here and to be a part a functioning and 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 uh, effective and and productive member of of our society. Well, then there should be a path for them to to earn citizenship. You know, maybe you go to the end of the line and you have to wait. You know, three years will give you a a temporary uh, green card or or something like that, and you have to go through uh, the the proper channels. Maybe pay some back taxes or or simply a flat fee. You have to come up with, over the next five years, whatever, $5,000, whatever the number is. I'm just making stuff up here. But there, there has to be a process to deal with the people who are already here. If you're here illegally and you've committed a felony other than your, your illegal immigration status, you go home, period. No second chances, no three strikes and you're out. You go back to where you're from. And you will never be allowed. I cannot, as an American citizen, I cannot travel to Canada. 
Canada will not let me in even for a day pass. My daughter's birthday. We wanted to go up to Winnipeg. We're not too far from Winnipeg, Canada to go see the symphony orchestra. They wouldn't let me in. We were turned around at the border because they wouldn't let me in because way back in 1995, I was involved in a car accident and someone was killed and it was my fault. I was, I was charged with negligent homicide. I was actually originally charged with manslaughter. I was found later guilty of a lesser charge, which was negligent homicide. And therefore, I am not allowed into Canada because in Canada, that is a crime that prevents you from ever being allowed into Canada. Now, I can go through the process. It'll cost me two or $3,000 or whatever, and I can, I can get the, you know, go through the proper channels to, it's not an expungement, but they, they, you know, they offer an exception. I can prove that, you know, over the last 23 years, I've behaved and not gotten into any more trouble and blah, 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 and they'll let me in, but it's expensive. So this idea that, that we have to offer all these second chances in sanctuary cities is, is baloney. If, if you have committed a felony while in this country, you go home and you never come back. You never get to come back. Period. Now, again, it gets more complicated than that because what about the kid who did come here at two years old with mom and dad? And mom brought them here. Mom and dad brought them here illegally, and they've gone. They've grown up, and they've gone through the school system, and they've gotten an education, and they've gone to college, and they've gotten a diploma, and they're, you know, doing all the things that they need to do to be a productive member of society. Maybe we figure out how to let them stay. Maybe we figure out a way to, like I said, become a citizen, whatever that looks like. It's certainly not a free pass. Because they've had to have broken some laws if they're if they're making a living, if they're working and getting paid by an employer. They've had to have broken some other law, some sort of fraud law, in order to have a you know a fake social security number or whatever. So they can work in this country. So yeah, they don't they don't get a free pass. Maybe they pay uh, an appropriate fine or something like that, but in the end. Maybe we want some of them to stay. Maybe they do have something to offer and something useful to, to provide for the society, to help us be a more prosperous nation that can accept more and more and more people to help them be prosperous. And here's the other cool thing about all of this, right? If you help people come here legally, there is going to be a portion of them that will always say, hey, I want to go back home. I miss my family. I miss my friends. I miss the, the, the culture that I grew up in. I want to take this prosperity back to my home, back to my nation, back to my country where I grew up, my country of origin. And I want to help spread this prosperity in my nation. But when it's so easy to stay here and it's so comfortable to just be here and 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 draw off of you know welfare benefits or or whatever other free handouts you can get, why would I want to go back? Because if I can't take my prosperity with me, my welfare benefits with me, why would I want to go back? So what we want to do by creating wealthy, healthy, 
productive members of society is that we're, we're hopefully spreading that prosperity around the world. You know, someone who lives in India, who comes over here, you all know the guru, Noah. His dad is from India. One of the things his dad does is takes the, the things, the prosperity he has enjoyed here in the United States, and he takes it back to India and tries to spread it around back there. So that is an important part of the immigration system. And an important reason for the immigration system is because if we can export here in the United States, not just oil and, and manufactured goods and, and TVs and you know phones and whatever else we export, but if we can just straight up export prosperity, if we can export healthy, wealthy, productive members of society back into countries that are struggling with you know, barely living above the, the, the global poverty line, that's a win for everybody. Because when we can spread our wealth and our prosperity around the world, there's less need for people to come to us and beg us for, for aid. There's less need for us to spend hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars in, in foreign aid around the world. Because we've already done it organically. We've already spread that wealth organically. So when you start hearing about this caravan coming up from Honduras, and you, you hear the question, why do borders matter? The simple truth is borders matter because we have to protect ourselves so we can continue to protect the rest of the world. And whether we like it or not, the United States is the world's police. The United States is the world's godfather or whatever cliche you want to use. We are the protectors of the world because we have, and, and, and we should be. We have the greatest wealth of any nation in the history of humankind. We should be generous. We should be caring. We should be compassionate. We should want to see the rest of the world blessed by our prosperity. And so we have to protect that prosperity, not out of greed, not out of this is mine and you don't get any, but simply protecting our prosperity is an act of compassion. Protecting our prosperity, our sovereignty, and our ability to be the most prosperous and wealthy nation in the history of humankind ensures for the rest of the world that we will always be there for them when they need us. So it's not about selfishness. It's not about greed. It's not about getting my own. It is genuinely, without question, about being able to maintain our own prosperity for the good of the world. If I'm broke because I've given all of my money to my kids so they can go out and spend it on video games, I can't protect them when they need me. So that is why our borders matter. And that is why when this quote-unquote caravan, which is actually not a caravan but an invasion, must be stopped. And we cannot allow the third world 
to invade our nation. We cannot allow the third world to bring the third world culture into our nation. If they want to bring products and society and, and culture and art and, and ingenuity and, and prosperity and all of those things, more power to them. Let's figure out a way to get them here as fast as we can because we need that. What we do not need is a, is a, a third world culture demanding that we give them freebies and handouts. So keep in mind, as we, as we get into this election cycle the next couple of weeks and, and we get into the, the discussion of immigration, when people ask you about immigration, the, the only thing you really need to remember is that our prosperity must be protected so that we can continue to be the place where dreams come true. With that, I'm out of time. We got to call it quits and wrap it up for the day. Um, I didn't get into the caravan quite as much as I wanted to, but I felt it was important to discuss the, the issues of borders and why borders matter. Um, and again, I don't have my outro music, so we're just going to call it quits and we'll see you next week. I'm Brad Schmidt. Oh, I want to mention this real quick. We're on Twitter, uh, Schmidt show doc, or, uh, the Schmidt show.com Twitter. Uh, Facebook at the Schmidt Show. Um, there's a million ways to to get a hold of us. Also, if if you find this valuable, any of the information, the 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 um, the uh, the Schmidt Show information, interesting or or worthwhile, please consider going to Patreon and check us out. Um, I want to do more of this. I, I would love to do a podcast every day, um, but I also have two other jobs that I'm already doing full time and. Um, in order for me to do that, it's going to take some support. And so while we are not a big enough um, podcast to garner big name sponsors and, and make us rich and famous, um, be uh, please consider going to Patreon and, and supporting The Schmidt Show. It'll go a long way to helping us continue to, uh, to make this a reality for you. So like I say, I'd love to do more of this. I'd love to do, and I plan on doing some special episodes, um, you know, some, some basics of uh, politics 101 kind of stuff um, for people to download and give to their friends and, you know, why the, the Declaration of Independence was important and why the Constitution is important and what are the six canons of conservative thought and break those down. So I, I want to do all of that stuff and I'm planning on doing all of that stuff um, no matter what happens. Um, but that stuff becomes a lot easier um, if, if we have supporters. So please consider going to Patreon and, and check that out. So anyway, I'm not going to give any more than that. You're all smart. You'll know where to find Patreon and, and you'll know how to find the Schmidt show on Patreon as well. So um, that's it. The Schmidt show. We'll see you or that's it for the Schmidt show. We'll see you next week.